Welcome back to the Bonafide Scrubs podcast. And this week, Noah and Will didn't feel like hosting at all. We're uh, after a long vacation. They didn't feel like putting in the work. They didn't feel like being a doc. So they've turned to me today. And let me say how exciting I exciting this is. I'm going to be a hosting the Bonafide Scrubs. The producer uh, is going to be taking on not only production and speaking, but now a hosting. So this is interesting. But we're back. It's been a while. It's been a long hiatus, and a lot of things have happened in the past 48 hours, guys. We have uh, Dave Portnoy getting banned from Twitter for about 30 minutes, then he came back. We have baseball nonsense going on between the Yankees and the Mets with injuries, Gary Sanchez's resurgence, and of course, the NBA playoffs where everyone just basically died between injuries, upsets that a lot of people did not have at all this year, I think including... The three of us, we didn't pick some of these things happening. So a roller coaster, 48 hours or so, but we're back. And I just want to know how everyone's doing today. Yeah, we could not come on after this moment in the NBA playoffs. I mean, I tweeted this out. Nobody really seemed to like this tweet very much. But I said, this is the first time in NBA history that the playoffs have peaked in the second round. And I, I'm sticking with that. I hold to that. Three of the series went to seven games. We had two of the best games of the year in one series with the Nets game five and game seven. Uh, the Jazz blew a 25-point lead to the Clippers. I mean, we had so many things going on. The Hawks battled back from 2-1. The Sixers also blew a 25-point lead. I mean, the nonsense was happening in the second round, and I think this was the best round, and it is going to be the best round of this year. So very exciting things happening in round two, and we're going to get into all of it right now. So I'm I'm glad we're back to talk about all this stuff. Yeah, it really fired me up the second round of the playoffs. A lot of legacies on the line, but the storyline of the playoffs, guys, is injuries, injuries, and more injuries. We saw the Bucks barely beat the Nets with one-legged Harden and Kevin Durant having to play 50 minutes. I mean, if the Nets have everyone healthy... The playoffs aren't going to be that exciting, honestly. It, it kind of made it more exciting that these injuries did happen to the Nets or else the Nets would have probably swept the Bucks and swept the Hawks in these finals and went, went on their way to win a championship there. But more a lot of injuries in the Clippers series, obviously Kawhi going out. They were down 2-0. He got hurt when it was 2-2. And then they still won. The Clippers had one of the best moments in their franchise by winning that game six destroying Rudy Gobert, or should I say Rudy Gobat, we like to mention. <laughs> Terrence Mann did his job, and Paul George actually played well last couple games. But even earlier in the playoffs, which we didn't get to talk about much in this show, how AD went down when the Lakers were up 2-1, which allowed Phoenix to come back. And obviously, Jamal Murray was hurt for the Nuggets before the playoffs, which led them to get swept by that Suns team. Just a lot of injuries everywhere. Embiid played on a torn meniscus, and he averaged 30 and 10 against the, uh, the Hawks. Bogdanovich was limping. Everybody has a team. I mean, everybody has a player that's limping around in these playoffs, and I'm sure it's going to be a long offseason, and everybody's going to be excited that's finally over, uh, whoever wins the championship. I think that a good place to start with the injury thing, if we can start with 
I guess the Los Angeles Clippers because everyone kind of knows the deal with the Lakers, how LeBron wasn't fully healthy. They, they just got cooked by injuries all year. But I think the Clippers is a good place to start because Kawhi Leonard, who was having a really good playoffs, he was averaging over 30 a game against the Mavericks in the first round and was a part of that game four win against the Jazz in L.A. when he dunked all over Derek Favors. And then he goes down, and then somehow Paul George, who we, we've been, uh, I guess, guilty of making fun of in the playoffs, and rightfully so, kind of just turned it on. And he carried the Clippers along with the help of Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann, who was the new Lou Williams of that team, to upsetting the number one overall seed uh, in the NBA playoffs. And now they're in the conference finals, the Clippers' first ever appearance there. And Noah, I want to start with you. The Utah Jazz were questioned all season as a fake news team, I guess is the term. <laughs> they really weren't um, a team that people would see to be hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy in July. But where do you think Utah went wrong? And Will, you can hop on, on this as well whenever you feel like. Where do you guys think the Jazz went wrong uh, this year? Uh, they just got outcoached. I mean, as funny as we're saying, Ty Lu outcoached Quinn Snyder in a playoff series. Snyder was a candidate for coach of the year. They were the one seed all year, winning a million home games. I mean, this was Utah's peak in a way. They were the one seed. They they had a lot of injuries fall from Kawhi Leonard, the Clippers' best player, went down when it's a 2-2 series. If you're a Utah fan, you're like, wow, we got something to break our way for once. We can actually beat the Clippers. Paul George, he's not that good in the playoffs. We could probably run away with this series. But they played bad two straight games, blowing leads. They, game five at home, I mean, that's probably a worse loss than game six because they were up at home and then they lost that game in front of a sold-out crowd in Salt Lake City. But Utah, I mean, Snyder got it outcoached. They had go the Clippers, after game four, realized we can go small to beat this team. And Rudy Gobert... Just stood in the paint. I mean, the Clippers shot 12 of 15 against them in game six. Even if he gets out to the shooter, I mean, it's so easy to drive by him. He's a slow center, like, man, dunked on him in game five. It's a lot of problems. And Snyder never adjusted. They never decided to play small with the Clippers. Maybe put O'Neal at center would have been a better choice. So you, you might as well just have to match the Clippers' offense at that point. But they weren't able to do that with Gobert on the floor because also he can't even punish them on the offensive end for going small. It's not like you're going to give the ball to Gobert in the paint and let him post up a tomb. I mean, that's not really an efficient offense when you have Donovan Mitchell and all these other great shooters on the floor. So, I mean, the Jazz, they just they discombobulated. Ty Lu. we roasted him for years, how he was a LeBron's puppet. But he actually mm -hmm. really – he won the series. Him and Paul George and Terrence Mann – the three-headed monster won the series for the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, Ty Lue and the Clippers, they really, I mean, they were the galaxy brains of this series because they took the best defender on the court and Rudy Gobert and just exploited him on offense. And Noah alluded to it with uh, Terrence Mann. He just sort of sat in the corner in that game six and was able to score 39 points just by hitting open jumpers and open threes. And that is what... You know, I guess you pay for when you have an interior defensive center who is not willing to step out on the perimeter and guard a guy who's just camping out in the corner. I mean, it is really hilarious. The Clippers, they end up benching Zubak and they go with Batum at center. They have Marcus Morris. They have all these forwards out there. They're really running a five-out lineup and everybody can just hit an outside shot. And 
the Mavs, they attempted to exploit it with Boban. They ended up starting Boban for a lot of games. Porzingis, 7-3 as well. And now here we are in the Utah series. The Jazz have a seven-foot center in Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year. And it's not even able to work against this, uh, this new offense and new lineup that the Clippers are rolling out there. So they really took a risk with going small. And they were playing 7-3 Porzingis in the last series. Now Gobert, and it just doesn't matter. You know, They don't need a, a seven-foot center. They don't need a big man, I guess, out there in their starting lineup to contend with these players, which is really hilarious. I mean, it just speaks to the way the NBA is played in 2021. But uh, yeah, definitely the credit goes to Ty Lue for being able to see that and experiment with that and have it work. And the Clippers, they're winning these games and winning these series without Kawhi Leonard, which when you lose your best player, as we've seen something like with the Nets, and we'll get into that in a minute, you know, Kevin Durant obviously still out there, but when you lose some of your all-star players, it's really difficult to win. And the Clippers have defied that up until this point. They lost game one to the Suns as of this recording. They're down 0-1, but they don't seem to care about 0-2 leads, guys. We'll see if they're able to overcome that. We'll see if Kawhi comes back to uh, revitalize this team. I just want to make another point. The, I mean, if you think about it, guys, everybody always talks about defense wins championships and defense. You need great defensive players. But if you think about it, in these playoffs, you need five guys that can score, five guys that can shoot. You need five of your best offensive players, and Rudy Gobert doesn't fit that description for the Jazz. Even we saw with the Nets, I mean, Bruce Brown, is he really one of your five best offensive guys? Maybe Jeff Green playing more minutes would have helped them. You need five guys that can shoot, and teams like the Bucks and Hawks and Suns and Clippers, they all have guys, five guys that can pretty much shoot a three or create their own shot. That's what you really need in the playoffs, just like the Sixers ran into a wall with Ben Simmons there. He can't really shoot or create his own shot. He can only create for others. It really halted these teams where they have one guy on the floor that really isn't a threat at all because you're playing four and five against five guys that can all score and, and defend well too. So just really defense is important, but I think we sometimes look over the offensive ability of some of these other guys and like how you need five people that can actually hit a shot on the floor. The Knicks ran into that problem too. Taj Gibson, Nerlens, they both played them at the same time and both of them can't dribble or shoot or anything. So it's like a three on five. And the Hawks have five guys on the floor who could basically shoot at points in the game. So teams just going small is the wave now. As we, it's crazy to believe that in 2021 they they could go small and it works. I think the craziest part that um, we're forgetting here is that we were having. I'm going to bring this conversation up because we were having this a while back during the Utah series, and we were getting yelled at by Adam. Who I mean, to his credit. I mean, he is a Nets connoisseur, but he, I, I question his basketball uh, intelligence. <laughs> Rudy Gobert is a very, a very good defensive player, okay? Nothing to take away from what he's achieved on that end of the floor. But when you can't contribute to offense, which is essentially the theme of basketball, you have to score the thing to, in, the, in the thing to score the points to win the game, you're not going to win. And I understand that they had to pay the guy because a they they are in a, a, a free agent destination Utah that is, and b someone like Gobert just doesn't grow on a tree I guess to have someone as good as he is on defense. But again, Utah's whole thing has been uh, getting Donovan Mitchell perimeter help. They did that with Bogdanovich, who has he's worked out I guess all right. Mike Conley, who they traded enough stuff for, he was terrible in his first season with Utah, but he was a lot better this year. 
his future is yet to be determined. And then they just have people like Jordan Clarkson who they're going to have to pay, I think, if they haven't already. I'm sure he's, um, I guess, a part of that help for Donovan Mitchell. But they need more skill players. And the whole point of the playoffs, and we're going to get to this in a minute when we discuss the Nets, the whole point of the playoffs is to have two things. You need at least eight guys, you know, as a rotation. And the second thing is you need people who can actually go off the dribble and do things by themselves. You can't have players dependent on other positions and other players to get them open opportunities. It's not going to work. And the Knicks ran into that problem, as Noah just said. Uh, teams like Miami, I mean, they have Jimmy Butler and Drogic and Tyler Hero, who are they're like pretty good at creation, but they're no Kyle Lowry or anyone like that. The Sixers ran into that problem with Ben Simmons and their atrocity, which we'll also get to later. And then you have teams like the Jazz and the Dallas Mavericks who just essentially say, Luca, do everything. And he gets annihilated, I guess, mentally by having to carry the poorly constructed Dallas team. So the whole theme here is you have to have skill players and not for nothing. I understand why Utah keeps Gobert, but that was the biggest joke of a max contract. I know we've been saying this for months. They could have used that money to get something else. They maybe could have traded for DeRozan if the salaries were right, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing a name out there, but I, I don't know. I don't think they need someone like DeRozan Thomas. I think when it's 2-2 and you see the Clippers and five out, why don't you just answer? You, you, the Jazz have the offense. They have the skill positions. They have Bogdanovich. They have Clarkson Ingles. Just play literally all of them together and put O'Neal at center or someone faster than Gobert to guard the corner. Yeah, but you, you see, that, that's the they, problem. Because Gobert can be... Because Gobert and centers like him can be used in, in series. I mean, when you if you play the Lakers, they start AD and they start another Drummond. big guy like Harrell or someone. Yeah, you, you need Gobot for that. But... <laughs> And you need go. You need go bear for when you face the Suns when they've eight in because they're the similar type player, and just like the Hawks. I mean Capella versus Taj. I mean it worked. I mean the Hawks. They would have gone exposed by the any team would have gone exposed by five out. It just you you need to make the adjustment. And wake up that this isn't working and the defense isn't working at all. But you need to change it. Well, go ahead. Yeah, this blame definitely goes to Quinn Snyder yeah. more than it goes to Nothing. Gobert. I mean Gobert had double figures in every. He Gobert had double figures in every playoff game. He scored like twenty and ten a couple of times, fifteen and ten. I mean, he's just a, he's a defensive center. I can't demand him to be a god on offense and be, you know, taking people off the dribble and just like actually contributing greatly in isolation. Like that, just we know that doesn't make any sense. So I think you just need to take him off the floor more often than you would like to. But that adjustment needed to be made. I mean, they were up two zero in the series. They end up dropping game three. They got blown out in that game, 132 to 106. And maybe it's time then to look at your team and say, okay, maybe we should just change this lineup. Gobert had 12 and 10 in that game, so he wasn't worthless. I'm sure he contributed on the offensive end also. I mean, on the defensive end also. But they just got outscored, and they got uh, outshot by the Clippers, who have a lot more shot makers in their lineup than the Jazz did at that point. So... The Jazz, I, I mean, they have the, the ability to go small, like Noah is saying. I mean, they have a lot of double-figure scores. Uh, Jordan Clarkson off the bench, an average nearly 20. You have Bogdanovich. These guys are all good outside shooters. They had the lineup to be able to construct, to go back and forth with the Clippers 
uh, but they end up losing in six because they couldn't adjust. So I think that's probably more of the problem. Gobert, as Noah was also saying, serves a purpose, just not in this series when the Clippers see, don't have any insight. That's the problem presence. I have because I know that you, you're saying it's not totally Gobert's fault that you say play offense, and that's obviously not his forte. You're asking someone to do something out of pocket. I agree with you on that point. What I'm saying here is the Utah Jazz, as good as Gobert is for what he does and how specific of the things that he does that he's good at, you could have used that money to get players who fit more of what they need. And that's obviously like perimeter creation. And like, I, like we just said, we all listed Bogdanovich, Clarkson, and Conley. And, and that's that's not bad to have around Mitchell, but I just kind of feel you could have you can maybe do a little better. I don't know. If you don't sign Gobert to that contract, you can, I guess, do center platoon of like Nerlens Noel, like the Knicks did, like Nerlens Robinson. And I don't know, you get like a third decent seven-foot defensive guy who I guess can switch onto the perimeter and still hold his own and credit all the credit in the world to the Clippers for pulling, um, for pulling Gobert out to an island, basically, basically space for him. But they could they couldn't use that money elsewhere to get stuff that would probably make them a lot better. Cause like I, I say with this, you guys know this. I say that run jump and duck centers like Gobert, like Mitchell Robinson, um, you can say the same for DeAndre Jordan, Nick Claxton is starting to become that Jared Allen. You can replace them because there's such an abundance of that type of player. Utah could have done a center platoon and then used the money they gave to Rudy Gobert to give to another perimeter score, which they, they kind of do need. But I understand what you're both saying, where they make that adjustment and they have to bench Gobert, but the problem... Well, what options do they have? I mean, No, you but like you can still get an like all-star a good out of player. nowhere. Like, you Alec can't Burks. just have offensive players out of nowhere. Alec Burks, they have, they have seven players better than Alec Burks. Yeah, but I think having already. Alec Burks is better. The Jazz, the Jazz just need... I mean, Conley was the other ball handler to Mitchell, and he was hurled out this series, but... Gobert, like he's fine. I mean, they were the one C and they were one of the best defensive teams in the league. And he does so many good things uh, on screens. I mean, every team needs a rim protector. It's just they couldn't play him the last two games because the Clippers went five out. I mean, the Suns aren't going to go five out if they face them. They have eight in. If they face the Lakers, they have two big men, as I mentioned. Oh, I, I understand. And obviously, you're going to want him. If you make the finals and you're facing Giannis, I mean, you're going to need Gobert in the pain because you can't pull on Nets and start. Like a start six eight guys like have Jeff Green play center with Blake Griffin, so it's just I mean training Gobert it really it would make the Jazz worse actually for their purpose because they would not be able to get the one seat again. Yeah, they need him just not just of course not it would make them worse. I mean he's one yeah. defensive player of the year. Okay, but times. hold on a second, he's best rim protector in you, the you league. You need that. You they need were the that. number one seed. They have they have like six guys who can hit an outside shot okay, and are good and average ten points at least. They don't need. Listen to replace to them with Alec Burks. That's that's garbage. They need to replace them with a, a great Listen, all-star. Yeah, they can't. Not an option nobody for them. Want, they're the Utah Jazz. Yeah, they just they're, can't they're salaries. Um, they're using all their cap, and nobody wants to go to Utah as a free agent. They just had the pig bear. I mean, they had the stomach it. I mean, he's he's been great for them. He just, he just couldn't do anything in the last two games. I mean, maybe they'll rethink this. Quinn will go into the offseason. Maybe they'll... If they see a team go small, they'll have to match it because they do have the ammunition to match it. Clarkson, Ingles, those are all really good sh- shooters and scorers along with Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell was playing her in this series, and he's still at 39 in game six. Oh, 
So, I mean, I understand what you guys are saying. Much of the, what I, I'm saying is Utah will still, if they even don't have Rudy Gobert, and they're probably not going to get the one seed again, I guess, for the duration of this team that they currently have. It's probably unlikely considering everyone who was favored at the beginning of the year is going to come back pretty healthy. So it's unlikely they get the one seed again. They need to sacrifice a little bit on their strength to address their weakness, which is, which is offense. I mean, you can, it's you can't move Gobert like at this. Point, oh, they don't have an offensive problem. They scored. It's not. They were up it's seventy-five not, to fifty at half right, against the Clippers in Game Six. They hit like twelve threes and a half. Clarkson had like twenty-one points in like eight minutes off the bench. They okay, don't need more we'll shooters. They. They just needed a different player on the floor to stop what the okay, Clippers were doing. That's my exactly. So you need better chess pieces to counter what you're going to be going up against. That's the, yeah, but that doesn't mean you have to sell Gobot. No, for I'm nothing. not saying you sell him. You you can't do it now. It's too late. You have no choice but to utilize him in the best way you can. My problem is if yeah, they didn't pay and him, that's they, not in that series. No, but my problem is they could have they could have paid bum centers to just run center platoon. Three of those people do the same thing that Gobert does. And then you use that money to get like other better stuff. I mean, they really, as much as Joe Ingles is useful for them, I don't know. Can you trade him for like a three and D wing that like Danny Green? Is he does he make them better? I have no idea. I, but Joe Ingles is better. So why would the Jazz I don't know. do I'm that? Doing I do Danny Green. You gotta think of it listen, like a, listen, listen. You're saying they're weak. You're saying they're not weakness offense. offense, right? So I mean, they were fourth in the league in points points scored. They were third in offensive rating. They don't have a weakness so on offense. They're the number one seed in the West. They're just a great all-around team. They just played two bad games. They have a lot of depth. But what you're, what you're asking them to do is it's unachievable. They have a deep team already with a bunch of role players. What they have to do is is exchange those role players for yeah. another star. And you, you just can't do it. They can't do it. So what they have right now is the best-case scenario. They have uh, Donovan Mitchell, who is their uh, best player and leading scorer. And they have the best rim protector in the league, and they have a bunch of pieces around them, and that's what they have. And it just it wasn't good enough this year. Yeah, I think I think we should really talk about how the Clippers role players stepped up. Like, man, but how how did Reggie Jackson become this good? And the only one thinking of this, remember, he was a bench player in OKC, and he was pretty good. He was a disaster in Detroit, but he went off in Game Sixty, twenty-seven and ten. I did not think. In game five, I was watching it. He was hitting step back threes over like bigger guys than him. Like, since when could Reggie Jackson do that? Can you guys guess how many points he averaged in the playoffs? He's averaging 18 on 50% from three and 58% from the field. I mean, Reggie Jackson, the Clippers were complaining how they needed a point guard to play with Kawhi and Paul George. Well, uh, he's been working out very well. I mean, clearly, he's a great creator and he could distribute the ball. I mean, Reggie Jackson's resurgence, another weird, weird story of this playoffs. Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, of course, who didn't even play in games one and two and lose like, okay, you know what? You could send the corner and practice threes, right? So then he put him in and he hit a bunch of threes against Gobert, which won them the series. So Clippers are just oh. finding things on the fly. Batum uh, playing center is one of them. Obviously, he had 16 in game six. They, it's, the Clippers are the best three-point shooting team in NBA history. It's funny as you say. It's funny to say that out loud, but they shot forty-three percent as a team in the regular season from three. That's crazy. So all these guys can shoot. Credit to the Clippers. I mean, if Kawhi comes back, he'll definitely win the championship. But as of right now, it's going to be very tough to climb that uphill battle against Phoenix. Yeah, they really are like a hilariously constructed team. 
uh, based on all the players they have. I mean, they have like Nick Batum and DeMarcus Cousins and these kind of forgotten players actually contributing for them yeah, and helping them buy out Batum. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really interesting. Paul George is leading them at the moment. I mean, people uh, wrote Paul George off years ago for just being a, a bad playoff performer. He was pandemic P last year in the bubble. There's just, uh, I mean, the way that they were able to win and beat the number one seed without Kawhi, it's just, it, it was so unlikely and it actually happened. And the way they've been going about this playoffs, they were down 0-2 in both the series and still won. So the Clippers have been overcoming a lot. I mean, it's been really impressive what they've been able to do. Ty Lu, we just, we laughed him off uh, in the offseason. We talked about him already out coaching Quinn Snyder in the last series. It's just been really bizarre, their story throughout these playoffs. So we'll see if they can go and come back against Phoenix. They dropped the first game like most people probably expected. Uh, it's, I guess it's going to come down to who comes back first, CP3 or Kawhi, and who can just give their team that extra push to get through it. I think this series is probably going to go pretty far either way. So definitely credit to the Clippers, credit to PG for leading them, credit to Lou for being actually a pretty competent coach, and credit to the role players for just stepping in and filling out roles that we kind of didn't expect them to. So this team definitely has a chance to win the championship, but they're going to have to keep overcoming some of these hurdles. So exciting Western finals going on, Clippers and the Suns. But we got to move to the East. We have to talk about the rival Brooklyn Nets to our Knicks. The Brooklyn Nets this year, um, severely underachieved. That's the word and term I'm going to use. Severely underachieved. They pulled off the headache move for James Harden, which had a zillion things going to five different teams. They pretty much sold their future and the kitchen sink and then some. Maybe even Sean Marks' firstborn child to get James Harden. And I remember I was saying that was way too much to get for James Harden. I understand that he was a former league MVP and he's considered, I guess, still one of the best players in basketball. However, Will does think otherwise in that case. No, I don't. I just think he's not top five. <laughs> All right. Well, he's not top five. That's fair. But the Brooklyn Nets got cooked a bit by injuries and they just had a collapse I wouldn't say collapse, more like a brain cramp versus the Bucks, And you have people like Joe Harris who didn't show up for game seven uh, mentally or physically he was there. Mentally, he was in a different universe. You had Bruce Brown who was playing center at one point for the Nets. Jeff Green who shot seven of eight from three in game, I believe it was one or two in Brooklyn. And then he just plays six minutes in game seven to do literally nothing. Blake Griffin who severely overperformed so that was a good pickup for them but everyone just blew the three the three two lead james harden went like two for a hundred from three and kevin durant was the only competent net player uh for them i guess in the series if you want to include Kyrie when he was healthy but gentlemen the brooklyn nets who i am guilty of picking them as my champion this year and it's on my twitter you can go look at it they have lost, and now they've got some decisions to make. They have one more year of Harden, Durant, and Irving all under guaranteed money locked into a contract before player options the following year. Joe Harris is locked in for another three. Spencer Dinwiddie already declined his player option. You have Jeff Green's money coming off the books, Tyler Johnson, Blake Griffin. You got one more year of Claxton, and then Bruce Brown is going to be a restricted free agent. And 
Steve Nash, who we call the Aaron Boone of basketball, because you're a clown show. starting to question his integrity. Where do the Nets go? Like, what what adjustments can they make? Will you you can have the first uh, first whack at this one? Well, I said this after Game Four and after the Kyrie injury. I said it live on the radio that we were all hoodwinked after a big three that played ten games together out of seventy two. We were all hoodwinked into believing that they would be just fine throughout the entire playoffs, being able to sustain their health and actually play well together. And here we are in the second round. James Harden goes down after one minute of the first game. And then Kyrie Irving, in a pretty important game four, they end up dropping to even up the series, goes down with a bad ankle injury and isn't able to return for the rest of the series. So those players go down. And who are you left with? I mean, you're left with Kevin Durant going uh, super Saiyan, going God mode, scoring 50 essentially in two of the games you're left with. An injured James Harden ended up coming back, playing at about 75%, and we saw what that resulted in. I mean, he shot really poorly and really wasn't able to give you anything on, on the defensive end. You're left with Blake Griffin, who actually exceeded his expectations, in my opinion, and actually contributed a decent amount from what I expected him to be able to in this series and before that. And then you're just left with, you know, everybody else. Joe Harris had a horrible series and playoffs. Bruce Brown really can't give you anything on offense, can't make a jump shot. Uh, I mean, who are the rest of these players? Claxton barely played. This team is just, it's a poorly constructed team. And you're basically asking three of the stars to carry all of the weight. And it almost worked. I mean, they got to overtime in game seven, with one and a half, one and three quarters of their stars playing, and they were essentially two inches away from from walking it off with Kevin Durant hitting that insane turnaround shot with his foot on the line. So it almost worked. They almost overcame pretty much uh, a a meltdown and an impossible situation. They were up three two despite the injuries. So it didn't you know completely derail them. They actually did have a series lead at one point. But the Bucks credit goes to them. They went back home, took care of business, and then went into Brooklyn facing Kevin Durant, the best player in the league, and defeated him in overtime. So they absolutely deserve the credit they get for that win. Uh, I'm not going to just completely blame the Nets because injuries did play a factor. I'm not just going to pretend like this was a complete colossal meltdown, although I would like it to be. You know, I have to <laughs> acknowledge the injuries. But honestly, guys, I mean, like I said before, we were hoodwinked into believing this team would be able to sustain its health and just overcome whatever they faced to get to the NBA Finals. So this offseason is going to be really important. I know we'll get into it right now, but they got to just they got to get a better team somehow. I don't know how they're going to do it because they don't have any cap space and they're just kind of limited and and what players they can get for the money. But you you need depth to win a championship, especially when you have injury prone players. Kyrie Irving is kind of an injury-prone player. I mean, he, he missed a lot of time when he was in Boston, um, was injured last season as well as this season. You know, he just he stepped away from the court a bunch of times randomly out of nowhere. You're going to need uh, some more depth when you have players like that on your team. Kevin Durant came off an Achilles injury and played like 35 games. I mean, this big three can do what he can, but when they're always injured and not playing at the same time, they're not going to be able to win. So... Uh, injuries did play a factor, but you got to be smarter if you're the Brooklyn Nets with this type of team you have constructed. And uh, 
you know, it's not a cakewalk. Uh, the NBA, it's exciting. You can't just form a juggernaut team and win right away every year forever. You actually do have to face adversity and overcome it and have a game plan and have a real coach. You can't just have Steve Nash being a puppet uh, like we thought <laughs> Ty Lu was. So the Nets are going to have to come back in year two of this this era and you know answer these questions and may and create a better team and. You know, I guess they're probably going to have Steve Nash as their coach again. But I, you know, if I was a Nets fan, I would wish they didn't. Uh, so yeah, they they got they have some things to overcome. It wasn't a cakewalk in year one like we all thought. Yeah, um, this Nets team it, it really mirrors the Warriors. If you think about it, when the Warriors got Kevin Durant, think about it. The Warriors stayed healthy. They won in seventeen and eighteen with Durant. And look what happened in nineteen. I mean, when do you get when you have Kevin Durant, Clay, Steph, and Draymond? You can't afford a bench, just like the Nets. And they had Quinn Cook and McKinney running the show, and those those players are terrible. And remember when Kevin Durant tore his Achilles against the Raptors? The Warriors looked lost. They couldn't win. So once one of your stars goes down, when you're so top-heavy, it's over for you, just like what happened with the Nets. They almost overcame it against a good Bucks team with how good Kevin Durant was, but still not enough. Joe Harris, Bruce Brown, these guys didn't hit shots or, or contribute in the right ways. It's just it's just like the 2019 Warriors and the Warriors ended up losing to to a great Raptors team. At least they the Raptors, made the finals. Yeah, they made the finals. They and I mean the Warriors they overcame they were able to overcome some adversity. I mean they did make the finals. They beat the Blazers in the West Finals. Even in 2018, I know they didn't have many injuries, but I mean Durant missed a few games in the 2018 West Finals. Remember, and so did CP3. He went down, but the Warriors overcame a 3-2 lead. They actually got through adversity and won, unlike the Nets. I mean, the Nets were up 2-0 and blew the series. So it's just not a great model unless everyone stays healthy. That's the only problem if you're going to be a, a super, super team like what the Nets and Warriors were. Because ben bench players do matter. Having guys that can give people a breather. I mean, Durant played pretty much <laughs> he played more than 45 minutes like every game in this series. He had to. I mean, and he looked gassed. I mean, he had, he had missed every shot in overtime. Bruce Brown was the only guy to score an OT for the Nets. I mean, that's just not a recipe for success. So I don't know how the Nets get better, uh, alluding to what Will said. I mean, they don't have any cap space. They're just going to have to run it back and hope Kyrie, Harden, and KD, who have all been pretty much – they've been injury-prone throughout their careers. Can they all stay healthy? Because playing 10 games together isn't going to win you a championship. They couldn't get through adversity. So I think uh, with the cap situation, Noah, you bring a good point. I don't know how much money they're going to have. Like I did say before, Dinwiddie did decline his player option. That's about $12 million there. I'm sure that Jeff Green will come back to play for free if, if he told him he could play for free and win a ring. Uh, Blake's interesting. Now, here's why I bring up Blake, and I want to see where you guys take this. He wasn't a normal buyout in the normal, sense, normal buyout sense that a player gets cut, like when Stefan Marbury got cut from the Knicks, he was pretty bad before they cut him, and then they cut him, and he just instantly regressed. Once he signed with the Celtics, he became a bench player. He was like a second or third ball handler behind Rondo, and Chris Duhon, I think, was on there. Not Chris Duhon. Uh, Sam Cassell, I think, was the other point guard on that team. So they just kind of re regressed. In Griffin's situation, he left his buyout in Detroit where he was pretty bad. And then all of a sudden he comes to Brooklyn and just wildly overperforms. So I'm going to imagine here that Blake's going to want some decent compensation for 
the season that he had in the playoffs that he had, which was actually very good, in which he's going to be warranting more than a million and two. So I'm guessing anywhere north of six or seven mil. I don't know. Can the Nets afford it? I mean, maybe if they just plug him into the hole where Dinwiddie is, maybe you have to move DeAndre Jordan, I guess, to create some more space to give yourself more of a cushion and have some more money to play with. But that's also running the risk of upsetting Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because the whole reason why they took pay cuts was to get Jordan on the team. And then if you trade him, that that could upset Durant and Irving. That'll probably upset Irving. He'll just take his walking stick and go on another vacation to, to uh, I don't know, like the Bahamas and practice witch, witchcraft. I have no idea. But that's what you have to be concerned about, I guess. If, the, if you're the Nets, you have to really um, plot out your moves very carefully and extremely calculated. What the attitude shift is going to be after losing in the second round because, you know, we heard it all year from especially Kyrie about, you know, how what they're doing is going to change. It's going to change basketball and change the world. I think he even said at one point, uh, you know, he was stepping away from the team periodically throughout the season. And I mean, it kind of worked. They got the number two seed and, you know, uh, they had mostly home court throughout the playoffs. They ended up still being really successful in the regular season. But now we see, you know, they didn't even make the, they, they didn't make the East finals. They got eliminated in the second round. You know, you're not the big bad team anymore if you can't even make it to the conference finals. So I think they kind of need an attitude shift. I mean, Kyrie also said they didn't need a head coach. I mean, you look what happened in the series. Steve Nash, all he could do was just hug Kevin Durant. That That's his coaching. Just hug the best player in the world and thank him for, for carrying him through games. That's really all he's able to contribute to the team. So I think they really need to just shift their perspective and realize that if they're running it back exactly the way it was, you know, Kyrie Irving should not be disappearing in the middle of the regular season. You know, they should not be talking like they're the kings of the league when they have nothing to show for it. They just got to, you know, they got to be, they just, they got to put their heads down and try and win. And after you win and after you achieve everything you can achieve, that's when you can, you know, have the weird methods. It's like, Phil Jackson and Dennis Rodman and the Bulls teams and everything. I know Thomas is like obsessed with them. You know, Phil let Rodman just go do crazy stuff because they won a bunch of championships and it worked and they were successful. You know, that's what you, you can do after your success is just sort of allow these weird things to slide because it still works before you achieve any of that. It just looks crazy and it just gives us more reasons to look at your team and dislike it and point to reasons why it didn't work out. So I think they just got to cut all that stuff out and just, they just got to play basketball because they're talented players and they definitely can win a championship with the team, the way it is, they just got to stay healthy and do it. And then you could, uh, you know, give us all your philosophies and reasons why you play and all that stuff. So that's just my opinion. I think they, they need an attitude change to, to succeed next season. I want to just quickly bring up two things here. I want to say one thing about Dennis Rodman because I, he's like one of my favorite people ever. Dennis Rodman had a very different role than what Kyrie Irving has. Kyrie Irving is asked to score the basketball. Dennis Rodman is asked to be uh, a shield, I guess. He's asked to take abuse from other players. He was asked to rebound, play post-defense next to Luke Longley who was no special defender himself, but he wasn't 
incompetent on that end of the floor. I think they they have two different roles. And I'll say this about the Nets coaching thing as well. I agree they need an attitude change. And people are going to say, no, we don't need to fire Steve Nash because he's uh, he gets along really well with the players. That, that's great. But if you're trying to win, you need you need someone who can take you there. I, they need a coach who takes the position and job title of head coach very seriously. And one person, I guess I kind of scrape off of the top of my head here um, is Lionel Hollins, who's a little bit of a drill sergeant. He's a little bit more old fashioned, but I think someone like Hollins or maybe even Lionel Hollins himself, who is a hardworking coach who understands what it takes to win. He dragged Memphis to a conference finals all those years ago. And he in fact beat Kevin Durant on the way to do that. So I think something like that where it's structure organization and you still have the thing where Kyrie told Harden, I'm the shooting guard. You're the point guard. I think that was very good on uh, Kyrie's part to, I guess, let Harden kind of take over in that position. But Lionel Hollins or someone like him, as I just said, bringing structure, bringing discipline and taking the job title of head coach very seriously. I think that would do wonders for the Nets. And moving so on that's coach before. Yeah. But like he was, he was the coach for that one year. It was really like the 2015 season when they were kind of about to go into that super depressing rebuild. It was like the last year of Darren Williams, Brooke Lopez, Thad Young. It was, it was that like scrap team, but somehow they they've put together a, a run for the eighth seed. So it's not like Hollins is a, a bum coach. He's definitely had success and he was able to bring that shitty roster to the fucking playoffs. But that's, the, uh, I remember he was the Grizzlies coach when they made the West finals, right? right. No fucking shit. And uh, he was, a, he was actually an assistant on the Lakers bubble. Uh, Mickey Mouse ring last year. <laughs> still an assistant for the Lakers. I <laughs> mean, um, speaking Speaking of Mickey Mouse, speak of Mickey Mouse, Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers have Mickey Mouse to the process. Oh my God. Guys, I don't know if you react to Ben Simmons pretty much single handedly just ruining the whole thing. But the way that the Sixers season ended, to go down in seven games, to blow a 26-point lead, an 18-point lead in the game, what was it, four, I think? They blew the 26-point lead in game five or whatever it was. I thought that was incredibly embarrassing. And in no way is this Joel Embiid's fault. Let's get that out of the way first. This is in no way Joel's fault. Joel Embiid, Noah said this earlier in the show, he just played his heart out 30-10 and 10 or whatever that stat line was, something along those lines. He was just monstrous Joel as he should be Joel Embiid just annihilating centers left and right but the team around him is just what is it I, I don't know what it is and last night and this morning on all the talk shows the press Twitter social media whatever Ben Simmons received a great deal of humiliation and I think rightfully so because you can't score four points with your backs against the wall on your home floor and a chance to go to the East Finals, which is a huge step for the Sixers team because they've been three years in a row, haven't gotten out of the second round. And one year they didn't even get out of the first round. That was the yeah, I, okay, yeah, I am guilty of this. Horrible team to win the championship. I did. I'm guilty of that. But I think with the way that this season ended, you have to wonder 
the NBA offseason might be another repeat of 2019 where everyone just moves teams because people just performed poorly or teams are not what we thought they were. So I'm going to pose the question, the almighty question. Is it time to stop the process? What do, we, what do you mean by, by that? Do you mean getting is it, rid of is it, is it time to, to turn over the Sixers and start again? Or do you think it's you have one more chance to fix it and then you have to blow it up? If you don't well, go any further. Well, you can't just you can't trade him beat and blow it up because you sign him to a max contract and he's a top ten player in the league who I mean, if he was if he didn't miss those twenty games, he would have been the MVP, him or Jokic. I mean, he probably he may have actually won the MVP there with the one seed. You can't just trade a top ten player and restart. Front offices don't think like that. Um, they're gonna have to move Ben Simmons and maybe figure out and maybe keep Tobias Harris. I would probably keep Tobias Harris. I mean, I don't like him that much as a player, but he's still a 20 points per game guy. He can hit threes. He can play, rebound, play a solid defense. Ben Simmons, I mean, Doc was asked if Ben Simmons can be a point guard on a championship caliber team, and he said, I don't know the answer to that question right now. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, that just shows his lack of confidence for Ben Simmons. I mean, Doc, I mean, it wasn't his fault that the Clippers um, – I mean, maybe it was his fault the Clippers blew a 3-1 lead last year to the Nuggets because Ty Lue got them over the hump without Kawhi Leonard, although the bubble was some crazy, crazy shit happening in that. But, I mean, the Sixers, you, you really can't blow it up. And Ben, I'm going to tell you right now, Ben Simmons, no. The answer is no. He cannot be a point guard on a championship team. <laughs> <laughs> he scores four. He didn't attempt a shot in the fourth quarter in a game seven. He didn't attempt a shot the last three or four games. And the Sixers, they just need to move off him. I mean, he, he's great at defense. He can rebound. We all know that he's athletic, but it doesn't look like he cares about basketball. Like, he hasn't gotten better since he got into the league. Everybody was, I remember Stephen A. was saying years ago in first take, if Ben Simmons gets a jump shot, he would be better than LeBron. Well, that's never happened. He's never going to get a jump shot. He doesn't care. He's bad at free throws. He shot like 30% from the line. And people used to make fun of Shaq from shooting like 50%. This dude shot 20% worse. I, I was rooting for the Sixers to win this series. I wanted to see Sixers Bucks. I wanted to see Embiid versus Giannis. I mean, this was the Sixers had a chance to go to the NBA Finals, but Trey Young was one for 12 at half, and they were still up two. The, the Sixers just couldn't even – they couldn't figure it out. They blew a 25-point lead, as Will mentioned earlier, in game five. They won game six, but – I mean, this series, just like the Jazz lost the series with Rudy Gobert, the Sixers lost their series because of Ben Simmons, a max contract player, a defensive player of your candidate, couldn't do anything on offense. And you, when you can't do anything on offense, you're not you're afraid of, of shooting an open dunk. Did you guys see that play where he had he got he spun by Gallo or Bogdanovich, whoever that was? He had an open dunk, but he threw it ten feet out to Tyball, who got blocked. Like you're six ten, you're Ben ending. Simmons. Even if you don't want to attempt a jump shot, you still have to attempt an open dunk. You're you're a six foot ten player. I don't know what the value is for Ben Simmons, but I, I feel bad for Embiid because I mean this was a very good chance for him to, to make some noise and, and maybe add a championship to his legacy. The way I feel about Ben Simmons, I, I mean, it's like when your mom says, "I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed." Like that's kind of how I feel looking at this Sixers team and looking at the way Simmons played. I was thinking about other players that kind of like were great in their rookie season and then just kind of like progressively got worse. And the one that comes to mind, the modern example that I think we all will will react to right away is Tyreek Evans. I mean, Tyreek Evans, 
he averaged at least 15 points for his first seven years in the NBA. He averaged 20 his rookie year. That was the most he ever averaged, 26 and 5. And then he averaged 17, 16, 15, 14. He just kind of got worse every single season. And, I mean, at, at least he can make a jump shot. At least he can make a free throw. I mean, he shot 76% from the free throw line for his career, uh, which was only nine seasons. Ben Simmons, I mean, I hope he's not on that track, just be a Tyreek Evans. That'd be really bizarre to see a number one pick, somebody that we all thought was going to be a great player in the NBA, kind of just have this meltdown. And he was a defensive player of the year candidate. He's still viable on one side of the basketball. Um, But, you know, he is scoring less than five points in a playoff game when he's your starting point guard. And he's not even assisting that much. How many assists did he have? Like eight? So I I guess he's not not terrible with distributing, but you kind of have to be more of a threat. He's playing like Draymond Green does now, but he's much younger and expected to carry much more of a load. It just... It's very bizarre the way he decides to play. And he clearly is just phased mentally. I mean, we can see it in that one play refusing to dunk, but, you know, he's going into a game seven as the second best player on his team. And he doesn't have the mentality or the skills, I guess, to take over and to actually dominate down the stretch in a close game. Uh, And, I mean, he's really the reason why they lost. I mean, Noah said you can't blame Embiid. He's right. He played on a partially torn meniscus for most of the series. So, I mean, he did all of that he could. He's just limited by his co-star in Ben Simmons. So it absolutely is time to move on from him. His trade value has plummeted worse than probably we've ever seen. I mean, he was about to get traded <laughs> for James Harden before the, you know, I know. the beginning and then- of the season. If the Sixers have James Harden, I mean, I don't know what happens in this series. The Sixers probably win. But, Will, you were touting Ben Simmons for years. You tout Giannis. You tell people that can't shoot. But I will I will say this one thing. I do give credit to Giannis because he, he keeps attacking. He actually gives a shit about basketball, unlike Ben Simmons. I mean, Ben yeah, he Simmons meant, was he afraid. Overcame, he overcame yeah, Giannis, bad performances from his Giannis teammates. Scored he scored 40. 40 points in a game I seven. have to give he, him credit. His Giannis, mentality is not weak like Simmons. Yeah, but Giannis is not doesn't have a weak mind. Giannis, even when things are not going right for the Bucks, he keeps attacking and gets foul calls. He keeps attacking. Ben Simmons is afraid to attack the basket now. That's what it came down to. He's afraid to do anything. He's afraid to go to the free throw line. I mean, you know Giannis airballs and takes 10 seconds at the line. But you know what? He w- kept wanting to get to the foul line, and he made some good free throws in that fourth quarter. He he didn't he wasn't phased by the crowd. I mean he airballed one, but he still shot pretty well in that game seven from the line. But it's just over for Ben Simmons. And it's funny, we look back, he won rookie year over Donovan Mitchell, and we look how um Donovan is able to score 35 in big games. I mean, Stephen A claimed he was the best jazz player of already. We'll have to pump oh, the brakes on that. But Donovan Mitchell is a great player. He could shoot, but he was also playing injured. But you know what? He's not mentally weak either. I'm like Ben. He's not mentally weak. So he scores 39 in a, in a potential closeout game, even though they lost, not on him. Yeah, it's definitely time for me to not tell Ben Simmons anymore. I mean, he is he is only 24. There's still time for him to get a jump shot and to reinvent his game. I mean, I think we've seen crazier transformations from players in the past. I mean, one of the 
Julius most hilarious Randall. things like Dwight that one year when he was on the Rockets, he like trained with Hakeem for a whole offseason and became like a good post player. Like players have the ability to change the way they play. They just got to put the work in. I mean, it, it is insane yeah. that the conversation surrounding Ben Simmons has been about his jump shooting and his offensive ability every single year of his career. And it just hasn't gotten any better. It's actually gotten worse. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like he just doesn't care about basketball. There's no other explanation when you're in the NBA and you have all the skill that he has to go years and years without being able to hit a mid-range shot or a free throw. Just, he doesn't even attempt it. Like, like, I mean, Giannis... the, free throw line, the free throw line is the same dimensions on every court. Uh, I mean, the free throw shooting, it's easy for all of us. I mean, yeah, you guys are better at basketball than me, but none of us are remotely skilled at basketball really in any way. Nobody played at a competitive level and we can all hit a free throw. Uh, even, you know, if a crowd was there, we could at least hit some free throws on occasion. So it just, it just doesn't make any sense when your job and your life is to be in the NBA. You gotta just work on that stuff and get better. I mean, one season is, is I guess excusable enough, but, but not four in a row. You gotta, at some point you got to change your game. Yeah. Even if he still wasn't going to shoot threes or take mid ranges, at least be able to have free throws, like at least try to get fouled. Like Giannis isn't a great free throw shooter. I mean, Shaq wasn't you, you just try to get fouled. You got to go with the line. They're free points that they, they really help out the team in the long run and hack a Simmons. I mean, he literally shot 33%. That's so bad. And also, I mean, there's two, there's really two problems with the Sixers, uh, why they lost. I mean, A, it's Ben Simmons. We had just talked about that. But B, I mean, this team doesn't really, they don't have enough ball handlers that can create shots. I mean, think about it. Seth Curry, they're asking Seth Curry to dribble around. I mean, he's great, but that's not Steph Curry dribbling around. Seth's supposed to be a spot up shooter. That's what he's always been in his career. I mean, Tobias, he's not very good at creating, he's more of a catch it on the wing and maybe shoot it or take a few dribbles in. They don't have a real point guard. Ben Sims isn't creating and, and trying to dr- drive the basket. Who's going to create? I mean, Embiid, they just throw the ball to Embiid at the three-point line when he's 7'2", I mean, or seven feet, whatever, and they're asking him to dribble, make a play as a center. I mean, imagine if the Jazz had Go- Gobert do that. We'd be laughing <laughs> at them, but but it works since Embiid is so good at shooting and he can bail them out. He's a great free-throw shooter. Like, it messes up the spacing because Embiid can't be on the block then if he has to catch a three-point line and bail them out. Like, this team just doesn't have enough guards. I mean, Tyrese Maxey, I mean, he's the fake Emmanuel quickly. He's not as good as quickly. He's not a great creator. George Hill, I mean, he's he's like washed. I mean, he's on, he's on the Sixers bench. Cork uh, Maz, I mean, he's just a spot-up shooter. This team doesn't have any guards. Where the hell is this team guards? That's the one thing. They forgot about they expected Ben Simmons to be like the LeBron and be the point guard of the team. But clearly he can't do that because he doesn't even face the basket when he's on the offensive side of the ball. So this team needs to get um, some guards that can really create and shoot because you can't just ask Embiid on a torn meniscus to play every minute and try to take every shot. Same thing with Durant. I mean, they just ran out of gas. You can't have this one guy. You need someone else to create shots and, the Nets and Sixers both ran into that issue. I, I want to know say, where they're going to get a point guard from. I mean, I guess they I don't know. Sign somebody. They could draft to trade maybe Simmons, but or draft someone. I don't someone. know who's going to trade their point guard, their good point guard for for Simmons at this point. They had an opportunity probably before to get somebody pretty good, but now I guess that hope is lost at the moment. Unless you get a their team point guard that's desperate. It was, 
their point guard was supposed to be Markel Fultz, but he we learned he cannot shoot because of his arms. Ben Simmons <laughs> has his arm has his arms fully functional, and he still can't shoot. <laughs> Fultz, I mean, think about it. If let's say the best case scenario happens for Fultz, uh, clearly the worst case scenario. I mean, if you probably redo his career ten times over, uh, he doesn't. Uh, that was we saw literally the worst case scenario, the one percentile. I mean, think about it, even if he's okay. I mean, obviously, he's the first pick. I mean, I honestly thought he was going to be an all-star. I mean, most people did. He ended up being a bust because I don't know what happened with his arms there. But he was an athletic point guard. He could shoot jumpers. He could create. I mean, he was the last piece of the puzzle to the process. And if he was actually a good point guard, even if he was like Kyle Lowry's skill level, that, that helps tremendously for the Sixers in this series and moving forward. Like, even if Marco Fultz becomes Kyle Lowry, I mean, that's that seriously helps them. But... They had two number one picks, the Sixers that couldn't shoot. They really, they really choked those picks. And they traded, they traded up to get Fultz too. They could have stayed at three to Jason Tatum or some other wing player. I mean, at the time, I don't fault them for getting Fultz. I mean, Fultz really was the best player in that draft. He was supposed to be. But that that really flopped. And now the Sixers are back to the drawing board with Embiid and, and Harris on Maxes. I want to just backtrack a little bit. Number one where the Sixers really just screwed this up, was trading for Tobias Harris. That really just messed the whole thing up. I thought that was a very unnecessary trade. You already had Jimmy Butler. You didn't need Tobias Harris. You had players that could plug holes that they needed, which was defense and shooting. They didn't need to give up all of that for Harris. The second one also involves Harris and giving him a max and freaking Al Horford money over fucking Jimmy Butler, who just walked to Miami and made them insane even though we're starting to question them a little bit. And I think the next mistake we have here is, yeah, they, I guess for their offseason, to their credit, they were thinking in the right direction. Daryl Morey did go out and get guards. I mean, Maxi, we don't know if he's actually good yet. They traded for Danny Green, which was, which was good. But they could have used him at the deadline to get Kyle Lowry or a functioning guard. They, they could have had yeah. Derrick Rose. The Knicks got yeah, Derrick Rose. The, if the Sixers had D the Rose, the I dollar. mean, they, they easily beat the Hawks. And we oh, yeah, without we're a not, doubt. We're not worrying about them at all right now. Ben Simmons, is, is uh, his fears are still hidden if they have Derrick Rose or Kyle Lowry. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying like if even if you had D Rose or anyone like that, that helps the Sixers out a bit because you can – I don't say you bench Ben Simmons, but at least you have someone on the floor who you would give the ball to to take the last shot. So that's where they messed up. Now where they really messed up, and Noah, I do want to say about your Embiid thing before I get to my point about the trade. I know they can't really trade him because it's going to be hard, but I think Embiid trade rumors are going to begin at the end of next season, depending on how that goes, because he just finished. Well, hopefully the Knicks pick up the phone because we have a lot of salary to fill out. We do. They do. I agree. But Joel has contract money for next season. He's making 31 mil. And then his last year, he's going to be 33 mil. There's definitely going to be trade rumors. Wait, so is next year after 2022, that's his last year? So he's got, he just finished this year. He's got 21 and 22. So he's, that'll be the second to last year. And then 22, 23, our senior year of college, go figure. That's when I think trade rumors are really going to pick up, gain speed, free agency stuff, you name it. And you know what? I took the liberty to be me and I hit the trade machine. <laughs> oh, no. Now, Will, Will clowns me for my trades, as do most of my friends uh, here on the Scrubs at school. 
they clown me for most of my trades, even though the idea is like, okay, some of the packages I put together are a little asinine. And I have to account before I do read some of these. Daryl Morey isn't an abrasive weirdo. He doesn't really, I guess, have feelings for the players. I mean, it's not that you really should have, have feelings for players in an executive role, but at the same time, you don't want to be an ass to people. So I put three trades together. I just kind of picked the teams that either are in bad situations and are desperate for talent or have enough cap to kind of absorb Ben Simmons. And I'm not including the next because whoever started that idea needs, needs to be fired. They need to be sent away to jail because the Knicks should not trade for Ben Simmons. I don't care how cheap of a trade package you put. So this first trade that I came up with is with the Pacers. They trade away Ben Simmons, the Sixers that is, and they get back Malcolm Brogdon. And they also give the Sixers a a top eight protected first round pick in the 2021 NBA draft. So this coming draft, I guess, I don't know how much sense it would make for either team to do that, but if you're going based off of what Philadelphia needs, which is a scoring guard on the, on the perimeter who can create and is still a proficient enough defender, I guess Brogdon kind of fills that for I mean, you. Brogdon's the ideal guy for them, but right. That I mean, they could have signed him in free agency, but obviously they didn't have the money as they gave it to Simmons and Harris. And I don't Horford. mind Harris. I don't mind Harris as a third option. You just need uh, clearly someone better than Ben Simmons running the team. Right. Brogdon would be ideal. I don't know if, I mean, Indiana, I mean, they could blow it up. I mean, they, they did give Brogdon a lot of money. They like Sabonis. I mean, Laver, they traded for Laver. I mean, I don't think they're going in the direction, but it could happen in the near future. They've coached. They're probably looking for the East is still not that great at the bottom. They could probably make up the rates. We'll see what they do. That's another discussion for another day. Will? I mean, I actually think it's pretty smart. I think, you know, the Sixers, they actually do deserve an unprotected pick. I don't think any team is going to, you know, care that much about top eight protected versus just a regular pick. So, I mean, if it's Brogdon in a draft pick, I think both of those teams would be willing to do it. I mean, you said... You wouldn't even entertain them trading the for the Knicks to trade for Simmons. Yeah, that would be stupid. I, I mean, I kind of, I kind of agree, but also, I wouldn't be opposed to just seeing what the market is. Because look, I mean, any team that gets Ben Simmons, you're buying him at all time low value. He just exposed himself nationally in a huge <laughs> game. You just have to buy him at an all time low value, and then just force him to to be better and force him to improve on offense and I don't know you're probably going to win the trade if you're any of these teams because you'll just give a couple of picks away and get a guy who's already an all-star and already talented in some aspect and just demand the high worth work ethic out of him and if he gives it to you he'll probably end up getting better I mean if you're that afraid of his worth work ethic and his mentality then I mean yeah you don't trade for him but I think any team that ends up pulling the trigger gets him at the best time to get him. And then you just have him work on his game and actually improve. And, you know, if he actually isn't a weak minded player, he'll improve and get better and you'll win. So Could you trade. Yeah. So some other ideas, I mean, I would think like 
you need to get someone that can play right away, right? If you're the Sixers, if you still want him being in Harris on the team, you need a guy who's almost an all-star level to replace Simmons. I mean, if his value is really low, I mean, could you do you think the do you think if the Sixers called the Bulls, could they get Zach Levine if, the, if they threw Simmons and some draft picks at them? Do you think the Bulls would accept that? I know Levine's not a point guard, but he's a great scorer and shooter, and we haven't seen what he's we haven't seen him play in a playoff game. Maybe that would help them. Maybe some other young point guard. I don't know. I mean, there's, options are very limited out there. I mean, uh, like you definitely can't swap him. All the contenders like aren't going to trade it. Yeah, all the contenders aren't going to trade him. So then we dive into the really bad teams, like the Pistons, but they don't have anyone good that could help the Sixers, or like the Rockets. Maybe like Simmons for Kevin Porter Jr. I mean, that would <laughs> that sounds that sounds interesting, but that would never happen. What? Like the, the Magic have nothing going for them. Maybe you trade Simmons to them for something. They don't even have anything that would help the Sixers in a playoff series. Well, hold hold on, Noah. I I actually did my second trade is actually with the Orlando Magic. And okay. have them giving up Simmons in a second round pick, which they yeah. are from the Knicks, um, in exchange for Gary Harris. So you replace Danny Green with Harris, I guess, and then you get RJ Hampton, which is, I guess, a that's a scam. Low risk. I mean, it's a, it's a scam, but it, I guess. Yeah, I mean that that helps. I mean, it helps a little. RJ Hampton barely plays. I mean, is he really gonna step in into a playoff series and be able no. to outplay no, he, Ben he Simmons? Won't. Probably not. But so I think for the long haul, it helps Embiid. I think that'll help Embiid long Yes, haul. but you need to keep Embiid because he only has two more years on his contract, like you mentioned. You've got to try to win a championship because what if he doesn't want to re-sign? Right. you got to go for it these next two years. you got to get something that could really help you in a playoff series, and I don't see RJ Hampton helping any team in a playoff series. And now the like last Kyle one. Larry would have been perfect if they even if right. they would have been able to keep Simmons this year too. Right. I don't know. Ben Simmons for like DeMar DeRozan. I mean, the Spurs probably wouldn't even do that. that. I mean, maybe that'd be that weird. wouldn't make sense. I there's, think the last trade that I have, and this is kind of similar, or is like a mirror of the Brogdon one I just mentioned, is Ben Simmons goes to Minnesota for D'Angelo, but the Timberwolves. Okay, also I get a that would be that. interesting. I think that'd be the best case scenario for a Sixers trade besides right. Brogdon. Deloading, he we know he can create, he can shoot. I mean, he's played in the playoffs before with the Nets. He's played pretty well. I think that'd be a perfect point guard to pair and beat and Harris with. Obviously, your defense takes a hit, but you really have a creator that's not afraid of shooting, and you still keep Seth and all those other guys and Danny Green. I think that'd be perfect. I mean, Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota, Minnesota doesn't sound desperate. like that bad of a. I mean, Minnesota. I mean, that actually sounds like a good trade for both sides because Minnesota. Deloading doesn't as pass as much as they like. They like Edwards shooting a lot. They like Edwards in town. So why don't you just get Ben Simmons to dish to them? And, and he's a great defender. Minnesota doesn't play any defense, as we know. I mean, that sounds like a great trade for both teams. It really helps both of them. I think yeah, Simmons all time like low. Maybe him in Towns. I, I, that, that that's actually a very good trade. I think that's way more realistic than the Indiana thing. Because Indiana is still probably going to try to shoot for the playoffs next year, and they want to oh, keep Brogdon. I agree with that. Yeah, will deloading. Do I mean, deloading on the Sixers would be fun. Yeah, I mean, I think it works. Uh, I think, you know, it helps both teams. I think. I think deloading is kind of the odd man out there in Minnesota. They don't really need him to do very much. And hey, Beasley and Edwards, yeah. They obviously need to get better defense. The spacing isn't as insane with Simmons as it is in Philadelphia, in Minnesota, because they're not trying to operate in the playoffs just yet. They. Have all trying to win games. If you... 
Yeah, the, they also have guards that. that are ball dominant. You know, Edwards takes a million shots a game. Simmons kind of doesn't even need the ball that often on that team. And Towns, I mean, I guess he kind of plays like Embiid also. So maybe that wouldn't be great to have uh, uh, an Embiid-like player and Simmons back on the same team, but they're not under the same pressure that the Sixers are under. So I think uh, I think Simmons could actually work there, although if we're talking about his motivation to get better, I don't know how motivated he's going to be on an ass team. So that might not work, but for Philadelphia to get deloading out of that, uh, I think that makes them better. I think that this is definitely going to be a wild off season. It's, it's, it's already been primed to just teams exploding essentially with just how bad people have been and what trades need to be made. I, I do think that it's going to be an issue for everyone involved and especially the Sixers. Cause we know that, um, they're going to be absorbed or not absorbed, observed quite closely by NBA faithful as well as um, NBA executives looking to make moves for their teams and how they can get better. There's a lot to talk to talk about a lot of people to talk to, but we, unfortunately we're out of time for today. Thank you all so much for listening to the Bonafide Scrubs for Noah Levine and Will Swanky. I'm Thomas Aiello saying so long and we'll see you guys next episode.